This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. On Tuesday, all the buzz at Queen's Park was about Ontario Green Party leader Mike Schreiner. Last Sunday, he was approached by a group of 40 provincial liberals who would like to draft him to run for the leadership of their party, which has had two straight disastrous electoral showings. We've heard of this idea before, but this is the first time Mike Schreiner has said he is thinking about it. Is it a good idea for him? Is it a good idea for the Liberals? Libby asked these questions of our Recovering Politicians panel. Peggy Nash, a former NDP MPP for Parkdale High Park. Lisa Raitt, a former deputy leader of the Federal Conservatives. And George Smitherman, former Liberal Ontario Health Minister and Deputy Premier. You know, I wasn't a signatory to the letter, but I do trace my roots in the Ontario Liberal Party to the 1981 election. So I do have uh, more than a passing interest. I uh, endorsed Mike Schreiner when he ran in Guelph, even against a Liberal. I think that there's a lot of merit to the consideration because it teams up uh, two things, a party that uh, still has a very, very good residual brand, notwithstanding some challenges, and an individual who has really asserted himself well as a leader, but would seem to be attached to a brand which has some pretty serious limitations. So obviously there's barriers and some party loyalists could never see such a thing, but I actually thought it had a lot of merit. And as a liberal supporter, he'd certainly be amongst the top two or three people that I would consider from the list. Hmm. Lisa Wright, I mean, on the one hand, um, one thing I think we could all agree on about Mike Schreiner is that he's a guy who's considered to be really authentic. So mm-hmm. what does it do to that authenticity? I mean, if he jumps ship to the liberals and, you know, um, a lot of people would say the liberals are basically all about power. So, I mean, I look at it in two steps. Number one, he has to get his head around the notion that this isn't a merger of the Green Party of Ontario with the Liberal Party of Ontario. This is asking one guy if he wants to switch sides and cross the floor, as it were, to the Liberals. And then the second humongous step, which is to then run for leader of of this Liberal Party of Ontario. I, I don't think they're talking about a merger because that would be far more complex. I think he hasn't lost his authenticity because he did the one thing that politicians never do, which is he admitted he's thinking about it. I mean, normally people play it close to their chest, and he went, yeah, okay, I'm going to think about it, and good for him. Because usually these floor crossers are cloak and dagger, um, and they happen overnight, and an announcement is made, and someone's walked the floor, and... And uh, there, you've got a fait accompli. At least he's admitting to the folks in in his riding that he's thinking about it. He's probably getting feedback. And I would hasten to add that uh, if Mike Grant is a liberal conservative or or green member in Guelph, he probably could get elected under all three parties. 
he's that popular. Huh. Peggy Nash. So again, what do you make of that? I mean, uh, is it a good idea? He might be able to get more things done as a liberal, but, um, you know, or is this going over to the dark side? (laughs) Um, You know, I know Mike and he is, I think, as as was said, an, an authentic politician. He's very empathetic. He's a wonderful communicator. I I think most people in Ontario have a high regard for him personally. Um, it is very different, of course, to be uh, a, a member or the leader of a party that's not contending for power versus a party that is contending for power. Um, and sometimes you end up defending positions that aren't entirely synonymous with your own or or uh, comfortable for you as an individual. Um, but I think this says two things. I think it says uh, one thing about the future of the Green Party, if he were to actually go to the Liberals, uh, which is that they have no future. And that would be a terrible message for him to send as someone who has been a lifelong Green activist. Uh, I think it would be seen as a terrible move, uh, almost a betrayal for his green principles. The second thing I'd say, running for the liberal leadership, it says we really don't have the talent in that group and we're looking for someone from outside. So I think that also might diminish the prospects of the liberal party. Peggy Nash, a former NDP MPP for Parkdale High Park, Lisa Raitt, former deputy leader of the Federal Conservatives, and George Smitherman, former Liberal Ontario Health Minister and Deputy Premier. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. After talking with our recovering politicians about Mike Schreiner's dilemma, Libby spoke with the Green Party leader himself. People have been telling me that Ontario needs bold action to really push back against the Ford government, destroying some of what we love about this province. I mean, our public health care, the greenbelt, the farmland that feeds us. I mean, you and I have had this conversation many times on your show that we need urgent action on the climate crisis. And that's always been my ambition to make a positive difference on these issues. I'm doing that as leader of the Ontario Greens. And on Sunday, as many people know now, Um, A group of liberals sent me a pretty unique letter uh, challenging me to think about doing politics differently, uh, to move forward possibly together on some shared values around building a caring, connected, and climate-ready province. And I've responded by saying, you know what, I need some time to think about this. I need some time to consult with my constituents in Guelph, my friends and colleagues in the Green Movement, people across the province to talk about and have an open and transparent conversation about how we together can advance the issues that I've been fighting for and continue to fight for as the leader of the Ontario Green Party. On the one hand, you are viewed as, you know, a genuine kind of a guy uh, and, uh, you know, that you uh, actually are very 
close with your principles. And on the other hand, you know, moving to another party, the Liberal Party, which a lot of people would say basically stands for power is a kind of a cynical thing or an opportunistic thing. Uh, what do you say to that view? Well, I would say that um, my values are my values. People know what they are. I hold true to them. I am fighting to for urgent action on the climate crisis, for ending legislated poverty, for protecting the green belt, for pre- defending our public health care system, for making sure we set our economy up to be successful in the new climate economy so we have the resources to invest in healthcare and education and social services. Those are the issues that guide me, will always guide me. And right now I'm talking to people about how I can be most effective in working with them to fight for those issues because I know they'll make a real difference. Uh, in improving people's lives here in Ontario. So you think you could be more effective um, with a bigger party behind you, correct? No, I'm right now I'm in, I'm in a situation where I, I'm consulting with people. Um, this was a pretty unique ask. Uh, and I'm, I said, I'll think about it. That I said, give me some time uh, because the most important thing for me is to make sure that I fight for the issues that I know that my colleagues in the Green Movement across Ontario deeply believe in, and that I know my constituents in Guelph believe in, and that I know that people across this province, because they've been reaching out to me to say, you know, keep fighting, for example, to protect the Greenbelt. And and so I'm asking people how they think, you know, the best way that I can do that with them and for them at Queen's Park. Hmm. Well, it's, it's certainly starting to spark interest in a liberal leadership race. Is, uh, is there anything you'd like to leave us with on this, Mike? You know what, Libby, I, I would just say, uh, and this is going to be a comment towards you, uh, you've done so many programs on how important it is to protect the green belt, the farmland that feeds us, the wetlands, and the green space that protect us from flooding and clean our drinking water. And so I just appreciate the opportunity to come on to your show and have those conversations and this conversation. Uh, And I'm looking forward to the conversations I'm going to have with people across Ontario over the next few days. Ontario Green Party leader Mike Schreiner, who is thinking about a run for the leadership of the faltering Ontario Liberal Party. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, the politics of policing at Toronto City Hall. We discuss next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. When we learned late last month that 80 uniformed Toronto police officers would soon be patrolling the TTC to try and prevent any more random acts of violence, we were also told by the police chief these officers would be working overtime to fulfill this measure. So who is paying for these overtime hours? That is among the many questions being asked by a group of six Toronto City councillors in an open letter to Mayor John Tory. 
John Tory has released a statement in response saying it's disappointing some counselors would rather play politics than work together on immediate and long-term solutions to violence and crime. Are they playing politics? While filling in for Libby on Thursday, I asked this of our Tune Into the Town panelists. Karen Stintz is CEO of Variety Village. Lauren O'Neill is Senior News Editor at Blog TO. And David Crombie is a former mayor of Toronto. Of course, politics is, is, is no stranger to, to the operation of council. But, but it seems to me that this is a part of a unintended, perhaps, but part of a casualty of the, of the move to have uh, the mayor have more power and the, and, and the council less. It seems to me that it's not some some national secret of what we're paying people to provide service to the public. That should be open and public and clear to everybody. So I'm not sure what motivations may be, but I have no doubt that it's the kind of information that should be public when it's done. Lauren, as you ask some good questions, uh, including wanting to know more about the Toronto Police Service and TTC's approach to develop a system safety and wellness plan. They also want to know if the officers are trained in nonviolent de-escalation. What are your thoughts about some of those questions? I mean, I think they're valid questions and they have every right. The counselors have every right to ask these questions. I think it's a little bit callous of Tory to just be like, well, we need to do what we need to do. I, he's accusing them of playing political games. But I do think that they raise important questions about not only where the money is coming from, but like you said, how it will be used. And because putting police officers across all of the TTC vehicles, I mean, that they can with 80 of them working overtime, um, I don't think it's going to, it's necessarily going to be a positive for everyone. You know, marginalized communities that have, we have statistics to show that have been kind of targeted negatively by police in the past. I, I don't know if this is going to be a great thing for them. Um, and we obviously need people who are trained in crisis health services as well. So I think it's a valid question for them to ask the police. Like, are there going to be officers who are trained to deal with people who are having mental health crises? Because that seems to be a lot of the people on TTC uh, committing acts of violence right now. Karen, is it appropriate? Or do you feel it's appropriate, uh, Mayor Tory's response, to sort of brush off uh, the the concerns in this open letter? Well, to be honest with you, yes, to be candid. Because um, if those counselors want to ask those questions, then there's ways in which they can do that, which include going to committee, going to the police services board, um, you know, as Tory said, directing them to the agencies that are actually managing those issues. And so this is nothing but a media stunt, to be candid. And they got their points because now they're getting talked about. But, uh, you know, the reality is that police presence and security presence in the subway um, has been proven to work in New York uh, in the last four months because New York is experiencing something similar to what we are. And since the New York, uh, since New York decided to increase their security presence on the subway system, particularly the subway system, um, crime has gone down 16% in four months. And so it does work. And, um, you know, the other reality is that there are vulnerable communities that are accessing the CTC and not paying. And if they need to do that, okay. But uh, the reality is there are some incidents on the CTC that are causing other riders to feel uncomfortable. And I will tell you, when I was on the subway and I saw the security presence of someone, of an officer on the subway, I felt immeasurably safer. And so um, we can debate whether or not there should be different resources being deployed for other purposes. But 
the candid, stark reality is that there's a lot of vulnerable people that are riding the subway, using it as a complement to the shelter system. And there's incidents that are occurring that are making people feel unsafe. Those are the facts. And one way to deal with it is through increased police security and presence. And I think it's appropriate. So far this week, knock on wood, it has been relatively quiet on the TTC. Coincidence, David, or do you think that uh, these 80 officers, uh, where they've been placed, is having a positive effect? Oh, I think it's having a positive effect. I have no doubt about it. In fact, I've, I've been along, and many, many people have been an advocate of more community policing, whether it's on the TTC or not. What's being done is appropriate. I have no idea. Uh, somebody does, I'm sure. I have no idea what kind of qualifications they were looking for, whether they're looking for people who had extra uh, training in certain aspects of policing. I don't know that. We should know that. But, but uh, no, the idea of having a presence uh, of, of uh, police in community, whether that's the TCC or not, I'm all in favor of. David Crombie, former mayor of Toronto, Karen Stintz, CEO at Variety Village, and Lauren O'Neill, senior news editor at Blog TO. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Thursday, details of the public memorials for the iconic Hazel McCallion were released. And fittingly, a state funeral for the legendary former longtime Mississauga mayor will take place on her birthday, Valentine's Day, February 14th, when she would have turned 102. Joining me on Thursday to talk about the plans, Jim Murray, longtime friend of Hazel McCallion and a spokesperson for the McCallion family. Hazel had asked me to help with organizing a funeral for her about 10 years ago. Little did I know it would end up to be a state funeral, but that's very fitting for the contributions that she made to being the architect of this city so over decades. Jim, tell years. us tell us about that conversation you had with her when she was 90 about her funeral. We didn't really start planning a lot um, uh, in a serious vein as to what, until uh, the Queen died. We decided we'd better get on it and we met with the city, and they wanted a city funeral uh, to invite the public and, and a memorial at the at the, uh, at the time of the Hershey Center Arena. And uh, so we started planning, and then uh, at, on Christmas Day, uh, I spoke with her doctor who said that she was in decline, and uh, we got pretty revved up and got things organized. And, it, and then the province came along, of course, and decided it would be a, a state funeral, which is a tremendous honor. She would have agreed to that in a heartbeat. What was Im- uh, Jim, what was important to Hazel um, in terms of how her funeral would be? She wanted a funeral that would allow, at, at a facility that would allow the people that she connected with, even though when she was sick, they, they gave her a steroid that perked her up in terms of... Uh, energy and whatnot for about two weeks. They said it wouldn't last terribly long, but she went out to Portuguese <laughs> community lunch from uh, noon until five o'clock in the afternoon while she was at home supposedly resting after getting a diagnosis that she was terminally ill. Right. That was Hazel, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Hazel never stopped. She may have uh, retired from being mayor eight years ago or nine years ago now. 
but she never stopped because she didn't she didn't retire. Uh, Bonnie Crombie, God love her, in a very loving sense, used to refer to Hazel when they would both be at the same event, which was most events. And she'd say, in this city, we have a mare and a spare. Hmm. Because Hazel never stopped attending things at right. all. Right. Um, explain, explain for us um, what this state funeral will be like on February 14th. Well, it will be an opportunity for close to 5,000 people. Uh, obviously, there'll be a fair number of dignitaries. The province is, is amassing that list and organizing where they'll sit and the like. But there will be uh, 45, 4,600 people who are citizens of this community who want to pay her their respects and want to honor her by attending that funeral. And uh, I think that's a whole lot better than being in a place where there's only two or 300 seats. And so would she. And she did. I, I started in, in earnest in, in planning uh, what, what the agenda would be and the program would be in uh, on it started on Christmas Day, and sh- I shared with her every single detail, and she wanted to know everything. Oh, that's so she nice. Wanted, <laughs> she wanted to know who the pallbearers were going to be. She right. wanted to know who would be doing readings, uh, two or three readings. She wanted to know who the speakers would be. She wanted to know uh, what, she, and and she decided who those people would be. I did not. I didn't decide to go and say, "What do you think of this?" She decided, and everyone who's there, it's because she wanted them to be a speaker. For those who would really like to attend in person, what is your best strategy to get a ticket? I think you go online at, with Ticketmaster through the city, and you go online and you you request your tickets, and they will electronically send them through email to you. Uh, and there, it's open seating. You can sit where, so if you want to get a, a seat closer to the front, come earlier. Jim Murray, longtime friend of Hazel McCallion and a spokesperson for the McCallion family. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby's Nimer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Sue in Mississauga phoned during our segment on the most recent scams. I got scammed by someone who called me, said my son had been in a car accident. It'll be $1,200 to get him out of jail. And he had this young lad come on the line and cry and go, oh, mom, I'm so sorry. I said, you know, I shouldn't have tried to drive so-and-so to, to Montreal and blah, blah. And, and and it was awful. And I thought for sure that my son, they prey on your emotion. Wow. He ended up getting just over $4,000 out of me. And they know all the right things to say and all the answers to come back with. Helen in Toronto also called when we talked about scams that prey on older people to go get money out of the bank. I had to withdraw a large amount. And it was around Christmas time. 
Um, they asked me why, and of course I gave them an off-the-cuff snarky answer, but they did give me the money. On the other hand, my mother had dementia, and there was one time my mother and my sister went into the bank and took some money out, after which they had the royal shakedown, and I said to them, unless it's me with my mother, or me alone, or a check signed by me, don't allow it to be set, to be done. So I've seen both sides of it. And when I asked, why are you asking me what I'm paying for? Um, they said, because some people have come in and even, and this particular teller said, one lady said, the man outside told me to say this and that I would be able to get the money. Ah, okay. Yeah. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Sita in Mississauga, who talked about her memories of the iconic Hazel McCallion. I will not only remember ex-Mayor Hazel as a trailblazer politician, but a down-to-earth person she was. We were lucky to run into her 30 years ago in a grocery store at Price Stopper. I automatically gave her a hug and couldn't resist giving her a, a cheek pinch. She stopped and we chat for a while. Another time, my husband ran into her sitting alone in a restaurant, and he jokingly said to her, are you drinking at a job? And she laughed and said she's waiting for her niece. And my son, when he graduated Sheridan College, of course, Mayor McCallion was on the board, and by fate, work at a bank where she frequently visit, and she chat with employees all the time. He was awe at a 95 plus. She was still doing her own things. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. And call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi. With technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.